Are you ready to address the long-term health issues that are slowing down your happiness? It's time to make your health a top priority. Visit HealthyDays.com and click the free call button to begin on the road to restore and reclaim your health. Bring your body back to balance and have the energy for the people and things that are important so you can enjoy a full and happy life once again. Take the next step in your journey by visiting HealthyDays, spelled D-A-E-S, dot com. Probably a year ago or a year and a half ago, (laughs) all of you guys labeled me as a flat earther, which was (laughs) funny to me, right? But wait, are you not? Are you not anymore? (laughs) So this is what's funny. I never was. I I never was a flat earther, (laughs) right? But what I thought was interesting was that everyone scoffed at the idea that it could even be possible. And all I asked people to do was challenge what they think they already knew. That's all I asked, right? Assume that NASA's photos are altered. Assume that humans are not as advanced as they think they are. Assume that science is not 100% accurate. Welcome to The Jealous Vegan, a podcast about healthy eating, habit change, and the hurdles we all need help overcoming. I'm Jennifer Hunley, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Voice. Today we are joined by... April Frazier, confidence coach, co-founder of The Jealous Vegan, also known as The Influencer. Jendai Jackson, owner of Jendai Asha Creative, also known as The Entrepreneur. Lisa Carter, founder of Kinetic Fitness, also known as The Balancer. Lawrence Rassall, The Weekend Chef, also known as The Artisan. Thank you for joining us. Today, we are going to be talking about a movie that's gotten a lot of attention in our social circles and probably within the media as well. It's called The Social Dilemma. And so before we get into reviewing the movie and talking about it and why we thought it would be an appropriate conversation for this podcast, we'll let Jindy, well, actually ask Jindy to read the storyline or the plot as it's written on IMDb. Yes. So... Set in the dark underbelly of Silicon Valley, The Social Dilemma fuses investigative documentary with enlightening narrative drama. Expert testimony from tech whistleblowers exposes our disturbing predicament. The services that big tech provides, such as search engines, networks, instant information, etc., are merely the candy that lures us to bite. Once we're hooked and coming back for more, the real commodity they sell is their prowess to influence and manipulate us. In my opinion, at least, that pretty perfectly explains what the movie is about. And so this documentary or docudrama is available on Netflix, and we'll make sure that there is a link to it in the show notes in case you'd like to go check out their website or the movie itself and see for yourselves uh, the things that that we're going to talk about today. So my first question is... What was the first reaction or response that you had to the movie? If you had to boil it down to one or two words. I found it that the information that was found and it wasn't so shocking to me. I mean, we live in a world of consumerism and big tech, as uh, Jindy mentioned. I'm not shocked that people are out to make more money. And so it was it wasn't anything that wasn't wasn't new to my ears. I wasn't overly shocked when I heard that information. What stood out to me was if you're not paying for the product, 
you are the product. Yeah. <laughs> Which, of course, is both arresting and irritating. Like, wait, what? Well, I guess that makes sense. I'm it. You're watching everything I do. I mean, this is a running joke in my household that talk about something close enough to your phone. And we also have Sono speakers that are linked to Alexa, Amazon, right? Talk about something close enough. Start talking about herbs. Start talking about football. Start talking about, you know, black matter or flat earth theory. And just type in flat in the Google search. Why does flat earth theory seem to come up? It's, we'll call it a conspiracy, but sure seems like it. For me, I think the same thing. I actually had a conversation with a client of mine before I watched the docu-series and I said to her, we don't pay for Google, but nothing is free. So who pays for Google and what do they pay for? If it's a free service, (laughs) what are they paying for? Like, yes, advertisements or whatever, but I mean, Google's a billion dollar company there. That billion dollars is not falling out of the air. Somebody's paying for something. And so if you're not paying for it, somebody is always. I think that's, that's just nothing is free. My mom asked us, the family, in a group chat to watch the documentary. And so since I was prompted to do so, and we've had prior conversations about the impact that social media plays in all of our lives, I immediately went into the documentary thinking, okay, what type of propaganda is this? Like, what what message is my mom trying to to get me to hear? That was my initial thought. While I did think that there was many valid points in the documentary, I also realized that it was a tool in and of itself. (laughs) Now, there's some circular logic working there and kind of makes me dizzy just contemplating the idea that should I not pay attention to this propaganda because the message itself is propaganda. But my thought actually was anger. It made me angry to see the lengths at which people are willing to go in order to make money, knowing that it is going to damage a society. So within the documentary, one of the things that stood out was they charted like the number of young girls who engage in self-harm based on a certain period of time in their life. So I think it was like age 12 to 19. And when they looked at, you know, just decades of history where this data exists compared to basically when social media, I think it was 2008, was when they really started looking at it. So in the last 12 years, it's just gone off the charts. And it's because of how people portray themselves on social media. And then, you know, these young girls primarily, I'm sure it happens to young boys as well. They feel left out or they feel like they don't measure up. And as a result, they end up doing some sort of harm to themselves. And, you know, that there isn't some better protection for kids to be able to not experience the negative effects of this thing that we all universally agree is good for us in terms of being able to connect one another. But as the tagline for the movie says, it's also controlling us. Hold on. Can we just step back, though, devil's advocate here? Because the movie The Matrix was published in the 90s. I think it was like 1999. Right. And I mean, that was my repercussion. That was my energetic repercussion of watching the movie. And they even played on that, right? The idea that you're in the matrix. But can we talk about that? Like the devil's advocate part, I guess, is the fact that they're very good at what they do though. The humanity is the product. So if I can give you more of what you already seem to like, 
then that's how we make the money and everybody wins because you don't even have to be aware of it. You doesn't cost you anything except time and attention, which is actually more valuable than dollars and cents, right? In the grand scheme of things. But the devil says, you know, hey, it, it works. It's a system that works. And you know what? We're giving people more of what they want. You want to look at, you know, Rhodesian Ridgeback dogs. Hey, I'm going to give you more of it and all the other things that are important to you. I'm just going to give it to you. Like, and I'm going to make money on the back end and you don't have to know the difference. Like, I feel like there really needs to be, there's part of me that's like, it's kind of brilliant. And also it's kind of a prophecy fulfilled. AI, all these things like, hello, like we, we saw this stuff coming back in the 90s and probably before that AI is the new thing that's taking over. We got self-driving cars. It's all the same technology It's using computers to reverse engineer how humans think and then serving them more of what they already like. Uh, you got to kind of marvel. It's brilliant, though. It is in the sense that it is brilliant. But the fact that once you take that information and you have someone with this propaganda or whether it's, you know, you want to sell something, that person is able to purchase a group of people, young girls, young guys, whoever it may be, or just people who are easily influenced. And you can implant thoughts into their day to day actions. That's the point that I think that becomes scary. Or I think Jennifer alluded to that earlier in, in her her take on Okay, but isn't that the job of parents? Go protect your kids then. And the job of a human? I mean, when the computers start outthinking the humans, what's wrong in society? The humans must be asleep. Something's wrong. Because the human made the computer and the computers outthink the humans. I mean, this is this is a game of chess. Like it, 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 IBM, when they produced, I forget what it was called, Big Blue or something. I don't know. Don't quote me on it. But whatever it was, they produced this game that could play chess. And they brought in the best chess player, world champion, and he started playing the the big blue. And you know what? The computer won. So if you're talking about computationally, yeah, the computer's going to win all day because the human has got one and there's millions, hundreds of computers that can crunch. So, I mean, like, okay. So the counter argument, I'm still devil's advocate here. Okay. No, like, that's good. So that's good. Go Keep protect it going. your kids, protect your kids, protect your brain, like get out of the matrix, especially if you woke to the fact that, you know, you're living in the matrix, like just go, okay. Well, the responsibility is on you no, to, to be a sentient being and get off of auto drive, autopilot. Yeah, I, I 100% agree. 100% agree with that. So my family, they came at it like social media is the devil, right? And for someone who gets most of my income from social media, I had to give them the counterpoint, right? If it was not for my businesses, though, I would not be on social media at all because I do understand that social media there's so much anger. There's a lot of hate. There's people saying whatever they want to say that they would not say to people in front of their faces. Uh, there's a lot of comparison. There's a lot of materialism. There are things on there that make it difficult. And so if it wasn't for my businesses, I wouldn't be on it. But I do use social media the way that it's intended to be used, which is to one, market to people. And two, for my own personal self, if I'm looking for silver jewelry, I will type silver jewelry in Google and on my phone because I know that I'm going to be served up ads that's going to help me find the vendor who's going to be able to, to provide me with the silver jewelry that I need. I know how to use it. And I think that that's, that's the, the thing that children, I don't think social media is a place for children at all. 
I don't. I agree with the the guys in the in the documentary who were saying that they don't allow their children on it because you have to know what you're doing when it comes to social media. It could be a dangerous place. Sometimes it could be a great place, but you have to know and understand that and take what you need out of it and then leave the rest alone. I agree with with your point, Jindy, and and I think that there is some level of personal responsibility. But I I question how comfortable should we be knowing that there is a system that's been marketed as being innocuous when in fact it is quite manipulative and can be damaging and even deadly to people. Yeah, but most people are asleep. You could say the same thing for politics. Yeah, I was like, honestly, that's every system. I mean, (laughs) all the systems. I like the what the guy I can't remember who it was that said a tool is something that waits patiently to be utilized. The Internet and your phone are not tools because it is constantly trying to get your attention and have you come back to use it. So, yes, it does provide a good resource. But for me, it was a little bit of a wake up call because even though I know what my phone is trying to do and I do try to defeat it on a regular basis. And we'll talk a little bit about some of the things that you can do to prevent it from kind of taking over your life or having the the effect that it's intending to cause. It still makes it difficult sometimes to to disconnect. Like I said, it was a wake up call for me because I never thought about all that these companies are doing to try to lure us in and keep us coming back to engage and then manipulate us to stay longer just for the sake of making money. I wasn't really thrown off by the information. First of all, we should call out that it is a docudrama. So they add some drama, which whenever you do that, that seems that says to me you are now disconnecting from the straight journalistic perspective in which you're just presenting the facts. No, now if you can call it a docudrama, you can infuse your own opinion and be on safe ground. So let's call that out because to the point that was made, I think at the top, how do we know there's not an infused, even though it is, they're interviewing these top executives and representatives, ex executives, ex representatives of these top tech companies. Sure. They're coming on here though, with a reason they have something they want to do or some change they want to affect. We can't know how clean that effect is. We can't know how pure or how altruistic that effect is. So let's call that out too. But I wasn't really all that taken back by the idea. Unfortunately, most of us go through life rather on autopilot. It really is. Unfortunately, it is. It's just a fact. And what was highlighted for me is the fact that the systems that are in place to harvest what we want most and give us more of it so we can buy, pray on that. Absolutely pray on us that, you know what, you're probably going to be, you're looking to numb out. You're looking to scroll forever. Isn't that what Instagram, you could scroll for hours and lose eons of time and you never had to engage your brain other than to click and buy something. Like, I think that to me is the largest takeaway and really probably social commentary that the system works because we allow it to work. Even if we didn't know these other things about how the system is designed to prey on us. Yes. But we, we kind of walk right in to, and I'm speaking for myself too. I'm not, I'm not standing on a platform here for myself too. Like we kind of walk into that and say, yeah, I just lost an hour because, and, and the likes and all that other stuff come to play in that as well. I thought it was interesting that the guy at Facebook who helped work on the like button 
said that they created it to spread more love and joy in the world. And yet look at what it's turned into. So I know Lisa talks a lot about unintended consequences of things that humans put together. And to me, that was just one that blew my mind because it, it does, you start to compare yourself with others. And as a result, you get less joy, even for sharing, let's say you share something really magical about your life, right? You got engaged, you got married, you had a baby, you bought a house, you went on a great vacation. But when you don't get as much positive feedback and likes and comments, it starts to devalue the thing that you were celebrating. And so just understanding and knowing that about human nature, it's so sad to me that this is what we've been reduced to through this thing that, you know, really should be a connection point. That's what like kind of came up for me is I remember when Instagram kind of first came out, I was so excited because I felt like. Not before that, we didn't have a place to like see what other people were doing, see what they were up to. Like, I want to see your weird, kooky life. You know, <laughs> that's that's my the fa- my favorite people on Instagram are people who like they're so weird and they got their kids running around. And it's I feel like I'm I'm friends with them because, you know, I, I see all the different parts of their life. And somehow it has turned into where you pitch yourself, where you only show the best parts of yourself, where you kind of brag about your life maybe. And I think that is one of the the places where the, the problem has come in because now it has been, instead of you just showing me some fun stuff and me being able to like get on it and look around, people are starting to compare themselves to other people. There's like Jen was talking about this the likes and the follows and how many people and how many people do you follow? And I can't tell you how many like events I've gone to or things I've done where people want, they want to follow you on Instagram. And the first thing they want to know is how many followers do you have? Like of people that actually know me, <laughs> like, like why does that even matter? Um, but yeah, I remember when I got on Instagram, I was so happy to just share my stuff. And now I feel like Instagram is like, a gift and a curse. And my favorite people on there are people who still do what I think Instagram was intended to do. But those people are few and far between. I want to go back to what April said earlier. And I think she and and Jindy seem to be pretty aligned with, hey, you can use this tool. You can really use it as a tool, right? You understand how it works and you can manipulate it to deliver to you the results that you're looking for. But I thought about the chart they showed of kind of the polarization politically within not just America, but across the world, you see far left and far right groups. There is no middle in politics. Everybody is on the edge. And I thought about some unconscious bias training we did at work recently. And so one of the things they talk about is confirmation bias, where we go in search of information that just confirms what we already believe. And I feel like both with media and social media, and especially around politics, you see that happening where people are just living in an echo chamber of their own thoughts, where even facts are debatable, right? There is no truth. There is no fact. And so I think that the real danger is just that the gulf between two sides will widen to the point where there is no longer any civil discourse. There is no opportunity to learn and grow because you're only surrounded by people and hearing the things that confirm what you already believe. And I think that that's a sad thing for people. It's not new though. We talk about this all the time, right? Like as part part of habit change, part of the difficulty of going plant-based or vegan is because it's hard to disconnect ourselves, divorce ourselves from 
what everybody else is doing, who we esteem one consciously or subconsciously, we want to belong. And to your point, Jen, yeah, I think that that is highlighted in the docudrama. I think the, the quote that comes up for me is Denzel Washington is famously quoted as saying, if you're not watching the news, you're not informed. And if you're watching the news, you're misinformed. And it's pretty true, right? If you're on social media, <laughs> you're probably misinformed because based on this, this docudrama, the social dilemma, you're being served what people already think, what the, what the internet thinks you already believe. So they're not going to show you anything dissenting, right? And we are living in an age where the news media's uh, truthiness is constantly under attack and for good reason. It's really fascinating. I think that's to bring it back to why we care on this team is one, because habit change is super hard. And there are all these forces that keep us in play and social media can be, if not used wisely and consciously can be one tool for keeping us right where we don't want to be and keeping us from moving forward to the place we do want to be. To your point, April, one of the, maybe it was at the end after the credits or right before the credits where um, one of the, the, Pros said that she likes to follow people who have dissenting opinions so that she can get both sides. And I think that that was an aha moment for me. Like, oh, yeah, I, I should follow people who are totally opposite of me or I could not. It's not saying I should. I could if, if I cared, if I wanted to follow people who were on the opposite side of any issue so that I could be aware I could be aware of the possibility that's out there instead of being around people who are only one-sided. And I and I have noticed that though in my feed that everybody who I followed in my feed thinks and feels and looks just like me and I'm kind of getting tired of it, which is why I don't like being on social media anymore. I mean, I I could go through and find new people, but that I'm like who are these people and does you know. And so I do recognize within myself that my social media is very narrow focused. And, you know, and, and which is why since I'm a business owner and I'm an entrepreneur, I follow a lot of entrepreneurs. I feel like social media is one big commercial as well as commercial after commercial after commercial. I open up the app and I recognize that this I'm going into this app as this is my a marketing tool. Who's going to pitch to me today? And I recognize that when I look at social media. But, yeah, I think I think making sure if you are going to use it and you don't want to be narrow sighted to tap into other people who are on different sides of the fence than you could help broaden your sensibilities about whatever topic you're looking into. Yeah. Can I just piggyback on top of that too, that to your point, that's one way, uh, Jandy, of, of being careful about curate, who, curating your feed real care, by, by who's not like you. The Tim Ferriss of the four hour work week, he, I remember reading this in his book that he said I, he cultivates a low information diet. In fact, he just checks his email once a week and it's like, and I think maybe not even once a week at some point, he's like, ultimately I tell people don't email me. And if it's that important, he's like, I'm willing to take the risk that if you send me an email and I don't get it for a week, I probably could throw some money at that problem and fix it. I cultivate, he says, a low information diet. I do not want too much in my brain because he wants to spend his creative energy his, from his own authenticity. And I think that's the piece too, for me as a coach our own authenticity can get intercepted very easily by the thief of joy comparison, right? And, and comparison is rife 
on all kinds of social media. Even TikTok wasn't designed to be for the little kids so that they could go and have some place to go play. And I'm seeing entrepreneurs on TikTok as adding on TikTok as another marketing tool. Well, that's not what it was meant for. If everybody gravitates there, well, then the internet's going to be not far behind if it's not already there to market, right? And to who's pitching today. So I, I said all that to say that I think one other tool in the pocket also, if people are not an entrepreneur, don't have a stated reason for being on social media besides numbing or some other reason, low information, low information, especially if I would say this to entrepreneurs who want to stand in their authenticity, you want to know who you are, you want to lead from that deep inner authority that you have, then you want to limit your time on social media because all it's going to, it can be a tool for quelling that voice, that inner voice that, and allow, it forces you to compare or impels you to compare yourself to others and their successes. I wanted to go back to what Jindai said about putting people on your feed that have opposing views as you and what Jin said earlier about people having the polarizing views of, of things like, what was it? Probably a year ago or a year and a half ago, <laughs> all of you guys labeled me as a flat earther, which was <laughs> funny to me. Right. But wait, are you not, are you not anymore? <laughs> so this is what's funny. And I, never then? Was, I-, <laughs> I never was a flat earther. Right. But what I thought was interesting was that everyone scoffed at the idea that it could even be possible. And all I asked people to do was challenge what they think they already knew. That's all I asked, right? Assume that NASA's photos are altered. Assume that humans are not as advanced as they think they are. Assume that science is not 100% accurate. And people were so quick to be like, oh my God, I don't believe, you believe in blah, blah, blah. And we, April and I would have these like spars. But it was, it was, what was most interesting to me was that nobody would even take the opportunity to challenge what they think they know. And that's where we talk about these polarizing opinions. Of course, if you believe that the earth is round, you're not open to any other opinion. You're not going to listen to anybody who thinks otherwise, whether you're right or wrong. The interesting part that came out of that was I realized for myself, I don't care. Actually, if the earth is flat, or around, how has that affected my daily life? Are, am I alive? Are we breathing? There are bigger problems. Like, and, and we may not know for sure, right? It's not a big thing, but that's something that I came to by listening to both sides and being open to the idea that maybe we're not right, right? But people don't have that. And, and I think that's the thing that the documentary was saying when they are feeding people information they're going to give you what you want to hear so that you can already confirm what you think to be true about yourself, about your environment, about the people that you love, about the way the world works. Whether it's right or wrong, it's only going to confirm what you think you already know. And I, so I thought it was funny that you guys were like, Lisa's was a flat earther. I never said that. I simply said... <laughs> You're right. It was so much fun, though. I, just, I simply said, just, just for kicks and giggles... Let's just assume. (laughs) (laughs) And you're right, Lisa, that is, I think, a dangerous place to be where we think we already know everything. And so we don't just take a breath, take a beat and think or even question, not necessarily even challenge, but go ahead and question uh, so that we can either confirm our understanding or gain a new understanding. And I think that that's also what's being lost and, and people continuously like giving into their confirmation or their affinity bias 
and just surrounding themselves with people who think and look and act like they do. But, but let's talk about why, right? Because machines are capitalizing on human psychology and how we already think. So the idea being they're not creating new humans. They're just noticing how humans show up. Right. So the idea being, yes, why? Why are we hostile to things that are different from us? Some of it is perfection. I, if, if I'm wrong, then what does that say about me? And if I'm wrong, it's not any different than a person changing their religion. Wait, grandma was wrong about this thing that I thought was true. It's what does it say about me? What does it say about grandma? What else am I wrong about? It shatters people's world when the, what they think they know for certain is not true. And I know that from personal experience, I speak for myself. Think you can trust something and realize, get real evidence that you can't. It is hugely disorienting and the disillusionment is rife. And I think that scares people. It really scares people. And, and I think let's call that out from a place of compassion. Humans want to feel safe. They want to stay with what they know, generally speaking, because they're safe. And to know that you're wrong about something you believe for certain, it shatters worlds. It does. And I think that we can maybe take that and turn it into what's the equivalent with food or how does this really play with nutrition? Because we started out the conversation talking about this is really about habits and how habits are formed or why they can be difficult to break. But I think that the, the documentary said something that made me think about nutrition immediately. Near the end, one of the gentlemen says, when profits in a corporation's own self-interest are allowed to drive how people are educated and motivated, there is almost zero chance that it will be built for the benefit of the individual. And when I think about, especially here in the United States, nutrition is not the goal. Health is not the goal. Profitable food engines are the goal. And so we see companies trying to determine how do you have people keep coming back and buying your food? How can you make it more addictive? How do you encourage repeat business? How do you get people to spread the word about it? How can we design it to produce a dopamine hit and cause people to, to crave it again because it made them feel so good? And so when you think about the check, check off programs in the United States, like milk, it does a body good, and the incredible edible egg, beef, it's what's for dinner, pork, be inspired, it's the other white meat. These marketing programs that are being funded with our tax dollars really are driving people to continue to believe things that have been proven to be untrue with regard to the consumption of animals. We should probably take a moment to understand what's in my echo chamber regarding nutrition. What are the legitimate balanced sources of information that I can explore on this topic? I think that's one of the good things that might come from like this documentary where people will feel more inclined to have the discussions, right? And to, to do the research and to find out the information and maybe be okay with, with not being right. You know, if, if you, I always say <laughs> I love and I hate science because I feel like scientists always go in search of what they think they already know instead of kind of looking for, oh, well, how does this work? Right. And so like what you're saying in terms of like what we our ideals around food, whatever our, our family has told us, whatever the government has told us, when we when we learn this new information, as we have these conversations, as somebody introduces us to a new train of thought or a new point of view, I hope that people take the time to, you know, kind of sift through it. How much of that is fact and uh, how much of that is is not. And and personally, Honestly, there's some stuff that we know that we know. And but as long as that's a choice that we're making and it's not coming from a place of misinformation, 
that's what I would want people to to do. If you're going to do something, that's fine. Just know why and be able to to stand behind your your decision. Yeah. Take the is it the blue pill or the green, the green, the red pill? Whichever one is the pill, whichever (laughs) one. Take take the pill. Take the pill. I think, April, you talked about the matrix and my family actually started the conversation about the social dilemma using the topic of the matrix because the family had a big conversation about that when we saw the movie back in 99. But I think that's the point. It's it's be informed. Take the pill so that you know what you're getting into and then make a decision. Make a decision either way, whether it's for food or for how you use your phone or for you know, exercise or, you know, the types of metals that you have in your house and how they, I don't know, you know, for for anything, just get the information and figure out what to seep through. Cause there's always something to seep through. So you have to find, you know, find what's for you and then, you know, use it to your advantage. Yeah. Knowledge is key. Uh, as I hear Lisa and I hear Jendai, knowledge is key. Educate yourself. And make the decision thereafter. Again, as Dindi mentioned, I I can't tell you how many things that you know we we see and we hear about in the world that, like you said, due to culture and due to this is the way my mama did it, and I'm going to do it the same way. We continue to do that. So I agree wholeheartedly. Find out, educate yourself, and then make a decision whether or not you want to continue to eat meat or dairy or whatever it is. And I would piggyback on what Jendi said. I will piggyback on what Jendi said. Red or blue pill, I would invite someone to think about creating their own pill. Because either way, you take the red or the blue, you're you get you're you're taking what's offered, and you're not thinking about what is free for you to create for yourself. That's space. That's time. That's your attention. Whatever it is, own your own future own your own destiny and know that you have more choices than what are offered to you be clear about that be conscious about that know your why create your own designer pill because you deserve it and because that's the place where authenticity really sits thank you for listening if you like what you heard today please take two minutes and leave us a review in your favorite podcast app And in the meantime, don't let perfection be the enemy of progress.